Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Back when I was uh, at Northern Illinois University, there, was a, there were a couple of bands that came out, and uh, I, I remember driving, I drove this uh, vacuum cleaner. I drove a vacuum cleaner, so it was a big vacuum on the back of a truck, and I would go from house to house and boiler to boiler, sucking all of the dirt out of the boilers and the soot, and, and I'd listen to Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. The other album that came out at the time was by a band that is known for godliness and everything that is moral and good in the world, and the band was Queen. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Queen? And it was very interesting how, despite everything they stood for, and if you know anything of the history of Queen, it was a tragedy. They had a song, and the song was Joyful the Sound. Any of you know the song? Joyful the Sound, word goes around, father to son to son. Any of you know that song? And being the, the son, uh, uh, I guess I would say swapping pigs at that point in my life, but the son of a godly man, and just being hugged by Jordan Arndt, being here to celebrate and to mourn the death of Bob. It is very clear to me that we as a church, you as a church, understand what unfortunately Queen could only grasp at, which is that it is God's will that the sound joyfully goes from father to son to son. Now, of course, that does not mean that daughter and mother or daughter and father, that the sound doesn't go from father to daughter. But we do speak this way because men are the representatives of the race. And so all of us have a sense this week and of the, um, the portentousness the heaviness, the weight, the glory of fatherhood. Uh, I, I have been praying for Bob and his family for quite a while, and this is not something that I find it easy to do. But in trying to think of Bob's influence on this church, uh, for me, the most significant thing, which many of you don't even know, is that when the church first started and Matt and Bob came in and uh, actually you were already here, Bob followed you, right, right on dude, you know. Uh, Bob came in and Bob and my brother David in worship service, as you remember this, they would stand down on the floor right in front of the, the platform. They would put their arms up around each other and they, I always said this, they would beller. They didn't sing. They were like cows mooing. But it had a certain cadence and a certain harmony and melody. And it was two men at the front of the church giving every bit of masculine zeal that they could. It was a rarity. I've just come 
from over across the ocean. And everything over there, even among the most conservatives, is Hillsong. I didn't know what Hillsong was until I began to feel like vomiting. And that's not good in worship. And it was just so, so soft. And so I was thinking about Bob in his final time and how he would lead. And so all of you really are the sons and daughters of Bob Forney. Bob had sins. Don't get me wrong, I have sins. David has sins. Nathan has sins. And Isaiah last night went out and loud about his sins. <laughs> Thank God for your fathers. Don't resent them. The things they do well, Thank God for them, because it's hard to be a dad. And Bob has given many good fathers to this congregation. And they have helped me. And so, uh, it is sad. God has ordained it that we get old and die. And it's sad because you don't want to leave your children and grandchildren. I mean, the grandchildren are just starting life, you know, and you think, oh no, I'm going to be gone. Who's going to take care of them, you know? Now, this morning, I want to speak to you about a subject that uh, is an, an indication of how, you, you know how the Bible says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword? You know that text, right? And, you know, we kind of say, the Bible is sharper than any, living and active, and then you're reading, and it hits you in the gut. And it does it again and again. It does it when you're 68 years old. You read something, and you think, wait a second. Are you serious? You have that experience reading the Bible? Where did that come from? Now, this is one of those texts, and you'll be surprised where I'm going to read from, because you think you've heard everything there is to say about it, but... This last year, I realized I had never read it. So let me start by saying that the subject is Elizabeth and Mary and the babies in their womb. And you know something about Elizabeth. Elizabeth had lived a life of barrenness. And today, we, we're so insecure that we don't want to ever refer to anything as being negative. We claim everything is a victory in Jesus Christ, you know. We're so victorious that we're vacuous. Elizabeth lived a life of barrenness, and it wasn't nice, okay? All around her were families that were having children, and she and her husband could not have a child. And it was very, very difficult. In fact, we read that when the angel came to her husband Zacharias and told him that they were going to have a child, you remember what Zacharias' response was? He was like, no way. We're past that age, right? And do you remember what God did to him because he said that? You remember? He took away his ability to speak. Okay, you want to make a negative confession against my prophecy? Fine. You can't talk. So God punished him simply for saying, no way, we're past the age of having children. God punished him for that, okay? 
Sure enough, after this, Elizabeth found herself pregnant. <laughs> and it was just as the angel of God had foretold her. And so then we're told in the Bible, do you remember what it says Elizabeth did when she became pregnant? It says she went into seclusion for five months. Isn't that interesting? She hid herself away for five months. And then it says that she said this to herself about her former life of suffering under her barrenness. It says, after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months saying, so this is what she was saying to herself, quote, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away, come on, say it, reproach, disgrace, same thing, to take away my disgrace among men. I put this up on social media about nine months ago and all hell broke loose. You know, it didn't matter to them that it was from Scripture. It didn't matter that Elizabeth herself was the one that said it. This is another sign of male tyranny and fecundity and degradation and womanhood and manhood, you know. And they were off and running. Can we allow this godly woman to speak the truth? And can we hear it? My disgrace among men. Now, I know that's hard for us to hear because we, we assume that it's just simply a function of male oppression and, and, you know, an inability to not celebrate children when you're living an agrarian life and you need them to take care of the goats and the sheep, you know. We're so proud. What is a disgrace? A disgrace is the absence of grace. What is a child? A child is the presence of grace. Children are a gift from the Lord. And so it was just simply the absence of this wonderful blessing that we take for granted, most of us. And she just lived every day mourning the absence of this grace in her life. She was disgraced. So this is Elizabeth. Now, we come to the other half of the story and we're much more conversant with that. We know that much better. This was another miraculous pregnancy. This was also prophesied. And this came to pass roughly at the same time and in the same extended family. This miraculous pregnancy was not miraculous due to the barrenness of old age, but due to the pure virginity. The pure virginity of youth. And this was the pregnancy of Blessed Mary. And in Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy, the angel of the Lord, named Gabriel, appeared to Mary and announced her pregnancy. She, too, asked how this could be just as Zechariah said, because she was a virgin. 
And Gabriel explained that her pregnancy would come from the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the angel's words answering Mary when she asked, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb. What tense is that? What tense is it? It's future tense. You will conceive. What that means is she had not yet conceived, all right? And you will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit, again, note the tense, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative, notice the even, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived. What tense is that? It's past. Has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. So Gabriel told Blessed Mary she would conceive, future tense, this child, and this conception would be, future tense, by the Holy Spirit, coming upon her in the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her, and then as confirmation of this miraculous announcement, Blessed Mary was also told of her relative Elizabeth's pregnancy, and that she, Elizabeth, was in her sixth month. Now let's go to the timeline in our minds. First month... Elizabeth is told she'll become pregnant and have a child and that from the womb, quote unquote, her child will be filled with the Holy Spirit. When she learns she is pregnant, Elizabeth goes into seclusion where she stays for five months. Then during the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, her younger relative Mary is herself told by Gabriel she will conceive also and that her child will be by the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> then Mary is also told about a relative Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy, and as soon as the angel leaves her, blessed Mary sets out to visit Elizabeth. Now, we pick up the account given us by the physician, the doctor, Luke. Here is the visit as he gives us the account of it. And here is its wonderful beginning. This is the word of God, Luke chapter 1, 39 to 45 and it is eternally true. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed 
that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. With a loud voice. This is the word of the Lord. Father, help us to see the preciousness of your image and to love children and motherhood, we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What happened when Blessed Mary entered Elizabeth's house and greeted Elizabeth? Luke records, quote, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Then, after John the Baptist had leaped in his mother's womb, we are told more. After John had leapt, his mother was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke of Mary's blessedness, but also of the blessedness of the fruit of her womb. (laughs) So what has happened here? Come on, think about it. What's happened? The past tense has become the present tense. Now, you don't think of that as being significant, do you? Well, yeah, that's what happens, you know. If you're told that you're going to have a baby, well, then the baby happens. And so what's the deal, dude? Okay, here's the deal. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Remember, Elizabeth is speaking under the condition of being filled by the Holy Spirit. And then she says something more. She says, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. So now, note the order of these things carefully. Elizabeth is the end of her second trimester. And so it makes perfect sense that her unborn child is moving and that she can feel it. With the first pregnancy, this usually happens sometime around 16 weeks. So there's nothing miraculous about John the Baptist moving in his mother's womb. But again, note the order. First, entering Elizabeth's house, Mary calls out a greeting. Second, the sound of Mary's greeting reaches Elizabeth's ears. When the sound of Mary's greeting reaches Elizabeth's ears, John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb. John's mother, Elizabeth, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, declares the fact of that leaping, but goes on to describe John's motivation. His motivation. And she says this, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. When the sound of Mary's greeting reached his mother, Elizabeth's ears, he leaped in her womb for joy. And so we see that Elizabeth connects her own hearing of the greeting of Mary with her son, John, leaping for joy. And this is beautiful. I am not patronizing you when I say this is beautiful. What women need to understand is that every woman is beautiful to men. Every woman, young, old, ugly, beautiful, 
fat, thin? Why are women beautiful to us? Because God has made women life givers. And have you ever seen an apple tree or a peach tree laden down to the ground with fruit? It's just so extravagant. It's so liberal, so democratic. That's a joke. That's the very thing Democrats can't stand is fruitfulness, <laughs> you know. I don't want to be political here, but, you know, these thoughts go in your brain as a preacher. And so this scene of these two pregnant women together is something that every man feels the romance of. And it's not sentimentality. It's not cheap. It's unbelievably costly. I was talking to a young woman who's going to get married soon. You know, I was telling her that my wife and I did everything we possibly could to prepare for our first child. I mean, we were manic. We did the exercises. We did the breathing. I did the coaching. We saw the movies. We read the books. We went to the classes. We, I mean, we were hyper-conscientious. And my wife is tougher than Cheryl Bailey. We, we, can, we can have them out. And when that child was done being born, my wife said nothing we ever read or heard could have prepared me for that. <laughs> and so pregnancy and childbearing and nursing, all of this is the most beautiful thing. If you go over to Europe and go through all these museums of mostly nude bodies, they're filled with fecundity pregnancy, with nursing, with the beauty of God's gift of life through women. This is the reason that men find women beautiful. And so here we have something we should not be ashamed of admiring. We have two women who are pregnant, and their response to each other is communicated to their unborn children. And so the unborn children join in the joy of their pregnant mother. They're in the womb, and they're joining in the joy. <clears throat> in a decadent culture, everything beautiful is corrupted. And so we don't like to even think about these things. It's like Victorian England. It was so corrupt that they surrounded everything with silence and acted like they didn't know what was going on. We should never be that way. Scripture is never that way. Scripture is real, okay? And so what we know is that a mother and her child in the womb are one. Do we not know this? How do you know a woman's pregnant? I'm not, okay? But she goes like this, and she goes like this, she goes like this, she goes like this, she goes like this, she goes like this. That's how we know. She's one with her child. 
She is patient with her little one in her womb. She protects her little one in the womb. She sings to her little one in the womb. She talks to her little one in the womb. She caresses her little one in the womb. She prays for her little one in the womb. She is angry with her little one in the womb. She is patient with him. Sometimes she wishes he were not there in her womb. Sometimes she is so very thankful to God that he is there in her womb. Sometimes she tries to get him to adjust himself differently when he makes her uncomfortable there in the womb. She feels him living there in the womb. Sometimes she feels him dying there in the womb. If she goes to have an abortion, he knows his mother is killing him. And he has agony of pain there in the womb as she does so. Make no mistake about this, mother and child in the womb are one. When mother is sad, her little one in the womb is also sad. When mother is joyful, her little one in her womb is also joyful. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. John wept because he was joyful, and the joy of this happened, quote, when the sound of Mary's greeting reached his mother's ears. Now, what do we learn from this tender scene of two mothers and the little ones safely nestled within their wombs? <coughs> Excuse me a second. First, we learn that Jesus, our Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords, we learn that Jesus, our Lord, has barely been conceived. And he brings joy to Elizabeth also, which she gives utterance to by her proclamation, blessed is the fruit of your womb. There Jesus was, present in the fullness of his glory and humility. And Elizabeth blessed him as, quote, the fruit of Elizabeth's womb. He's now the fruit of her womb. Okay, here it comes. How long now had our Lord been conceived? Now, this is what I had never thought about. Do you remember that when Mary was told that she would be pre pregnant, future tense, you will have, you will be pregnant, do you remember that it next says, now at this time, as soon as the angel told her, at this time Mary arose and went, what does it say? It says, in a hurry. At this time, she went in a hurry. She wasn't pregnant. She had had the prophecy given to her at that time, in a hurry, she went to Elizabeth. Well, then the next question is, how far away was Elizabeth? We don't know. The hill country. There are theories about it. Nobody knows. But it's likely it was somewhere around five to eight days. So 
when did she become pregnant? Because we know when she got to Elizabeth's home, right? We know there she's pregnant. Blessed is the mother of my Lord. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. How old was Jesus? Now you know, if you know me at all, you know what I'm gonna say next. Are you ready? Jesus was about as old as that child that you killed by taking a morning after pill. Do you understand me? Do not kill your unborn children. Do not do that. Christians don't do that. Do not mess with chemicals that caused Jesus at the age he was as they went on that trip to be aborted. We think that if we don't go to Planned Parenthood and have surgery, that we can't be murderers. But what I realized reading this is, this is an embryo. This is what we refer to with language that denies the personhood. Do you understand this? This is Jesus. Jesus dignified every second of our life from the moment of conception to the moment where Bob breathed his last. And there's not one moment in that life that it does not have the image of God. And that's why we value life. We don't value life because it reminds us of dolphins. We're not green. We believe in the image of God in man. And we adopt children. Do you understand me? And those little ones that are a product of fornication, that are when the mother's over 40, are you with me? When the doctors told you that this child might have some sort of congenital anomaly, no, 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 no. We love motherhood. Oh my goodness. If God deigned, allowed himself to live every second of our lives just as we lived them, from conception to natural death, how dare we take it into our hand to obstruct early life and late life? We don't do that. It's a terrible thing in America today and across the Western world that we only value people according to how we feel empathy for them, according to our sense of them being like us. So if a dolphin talks like people do, then we give, but you know, a little mosquito. <laughs> You know, and so we have this scale of value, and we don't talk about it. We'd never admit it, but it's, it's absolutely clear, you know. This is why the nicest building in Bloomington right now is our new animal shelter, you know. So I want you to think very, very carefully about this little one, Jesus, and I want you to realize that just as you were conceived, so Jesus was conceived. Just as you were a few days old in your mother's womb, as an embryo, Jesus was an embryo, before you were ever implanted on the wall of your mother's womb, Jesus was there with you. Jesus sanctified every millisecond of man's existence.
Don't ever forget that, okay? <clears throat> I was helped thinking about this. And of course, I have noticed this before. Um, and I've thought about abortion, but I've never thought about ECPs and morning after pills and hormonal birth control and everything in this connection because all that stuff works early. We're now at the point where 51% of all abortions are, are chemical, but that's only what they call abortions, you know, RU486. But they never, they deny that Jesus, if he had died, would have been aborted. They deny that because they've changed the definition of conception so that it only starts when the baby implants successfully. And they did that back in the 60s, the American College of OB-GYN. And so they deny the personhood of this little one, Jesus' age. And it was done because of the birth control pill. They didn't want any women hesitating to use the birth control pill, so they just changed. I mean, it's well documented. They just changed the definition of conception. But I had noticed, of course, that this was Jesus in the womb. And, <clears throat> you know, you think about women and you think about Genesis 3.20, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Excuse me, that's not what I was reading. Genesis 4.1, now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, you remember what she says there? She says, I have gotten a man-child. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yep, you done did it. But then she adds this with the help of the Lord. What a beautiful thing. And so Cain was Cain from when? From conception. Cain was Cain from conception. Cain didn't become Cain. He was Cain, right? We see the same thing with uh, John the Baptist, but we also see it with Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. I've been very helped to see this by a guy named Tom Torrance, who is a 20th century Scottish theologian, and I'm just going to read a little bit from him because I found it so helpful, and I think you will. He writes, leading theologians in the early church, what he does... He doesn't mean theologians. He means leading men of God, pastors, all right? It wasn't a, a scholarly enterprise back in the first century. It was shepherds leading, let's just change them. Leading shepherds in the early church, followed by John Calvin at the Reformation, rightly trace the root of our redemption, not only to the death and resurrection of Christ, but also to his very conception and the birth. It was because in Jesus, the creator word of God was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary that Christians came to regard the unborn fetus in a new light, sanctified by the Lord Jesus as an embryonic person. Hence, already in the first century, the church added to the sixth commandment, quote, you shall not commit infanticide, nor procure abortion, unquote. Those early Christians took to heart the words of the Lord Jesus about little children. Suffer the little children to come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, 
Matthew 19, 14. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever offends one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Matthew 18, 5 and 6. Matthew 18, 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels do always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. And so the teaching of the Lord Jesus about our behavior toward little children was held to apply no less to the unborn than to the born. For in his incarnation, the Lord Jesus had himself been an embryo in the womb of the Virgin Mary, around five days old on the trip to see Elizabeth, almost certainly prior to implantation. He would have been prior to implantation when she left. So Torrance continues, far from being little more than a bundle of living tissue, the unborn or preborn child early reveals evidence of a consciousness of his or her mother with sufficient self-awareness to react through bodily movement to her hands and her voice in loving care and also to that of the father along with the mother. <laughs> oh my. Kind of scares me, you know? I wonder how, how often my voice was nasty. Not you, Matt. I'm sure you were always just the picture of Tevye, you know? And David, I'm sure David read poems to Cheryl at night when she was pregnant, you know, and sang lullabies, right? I mean, honestly, people, if you think about what your voice is like to your wife when she's pregnant, you should think about it because it affects your unborn child. Isn't that something? Indeed, already within a few weeks of its life, the fetus gives evidence discernible, in other words, this is scientific, discernible in movements of the brain, of recognizing and having a memory of parental behavior in emotion, in sound, and reacting in response. Thus, the child in the mother's womb responds with evident delight and memory to the caressing and singing of the mother. Moreover, it is now known that any tune repeatedly played to the baby in the womb is learned by the baby who recognizes it after birth. Also, the baby reacts to discord between the father and the mother. Huh. Moreover, the fetus has the ability even to sense the mother's withdrawal of love and has enough self-awareness to sense abortion attempts on the part of the mother with the will to react to them. Even at 20 weeks gestational age, the unborn child quite definitely responds to pain and suffering and reacts in distress. The kind of interrelation discerned between the preborn child and his or her mother indicates the development already of what must be called personal relations. 
The unborn child is in parvo, in other words, in little or in miniature, a personal being. And so what is the meaning of this for us today? Listen, there's absolutely no way to quantify the number of children in the church who have been murdered by their parents. There's no way to quantify it. If you do statistics on it, in our book, Abortion in the Church, we have put scientists, biochemists, and economists on an extrapolation because there are ways you can get at the figure. The number of children that have been aborted through hormonal methods of birth control absolutely drowns what Planned Parenthood estimates is 1.7 billion. That's the, the running total now, okay? And it, it's absolutely inundated by hormonal methods of birth control, things also like the IUD. Remember, we are people of the book. We don't judge as the world judges. God sees us. And if in the Old Testament the Israelites were tempted to sacrifice their children to the Canaanite gods, how much more do you think you and I are tempted to do that? It's so easy. It's like pornography. Do it in the privacy of your home. Nobody will ever know. And so, listen, Mary Lee and I joke, all right? We knew no German going over except one word, and it was the only word that was essential in Germany. The word is verboten, forbidden. We do not kill our children. We don't do that. It is verboten to the Christian. Now, men, you know that your wife is weak often about having children. Men, you know that you often are very weak about having children. My favorite, one of my favorite elders, Tim Wagner, every time he, his wife would get pregnant, they had how many in the end? Huh? Nine. And, you know, he'd ask me out to McDonald's. We'd sit at the table. and Tim tends to depressiveness anyhow, you know. And he'd look at me, my wife is pregnant, okay. <laughs> and, you know, you know, Tim. And I'd just laugh, you know, because he was like Eeyore. Every time God gave him a child, he was like, oh, another child. The last one, when he told me, I was laughing as usual. And then he said, and we were using a form of birth control that's 99% effective. And I laughed and laughed. Listen, Jesus was in his mother's womb. Isn't Joseph a hero? And Joseph stood by him. And even when he was going to discipline her, thinking that it was sin, he still was a gentleman. Can we restore motherhood to the position of honor that it's had across history? among the people of God. Can we men stop playing video games? It's so gay. It's like skinny jeans. 
and diving in front of the goal. Do you know what I mean by gay? It's unworthy of the male species. You know? Can we please work? Can we please show up for dinner? Can we please speak to the child that needs to be disciplined before their beautiful mother has to? This is how we honor motherhood. Because what a woman is looking for is a father for her children. She doesn't care whether you love her or she loves you. This is an exaggeration a little bit. Right. I mean, really, what does a woman want? Women, tell them, what do you want? Do you want a father? Oh, you don't. So it doesn't matter if your husband leaves you, right? Doesn't matter if he's out playing video games. Doesn't matter if he has a job. Doesn't matter if he's on disability. Huh? Huh? What do you women want? Oh, come on. You beller it out when you're singing. What do you want as a woman? Well, I can wait. That's what you want, isn't it? You want a father. And so, if we learn that Jesus was an embryo, if we learn that life begins at conception, not at implantation, then it's time for us as the people of God to stop requiring our women to kill their children. And it's time for us to do the positive, which is to love our women. And that's all I have. It's a privilege to preach to you. Thank you for letting me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for women. We pray, Lord, that every woman here, whether you have graced her with a child or not, will love her femininity, will love her life-givingness, and that those who have not been given children, you will comfort. And those who have been given children, Lord, help them not to be proud. Father, we pray that you will restore to your church a hatred of the bloodshed of the innocents. And we pray that you will fill your church with men who delight in the gift of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.